Well, let's go ahead and um, take our Bibles again. Just for the sake of it, turn to Luke chapter 2 again, verse 52. That's just our uh, springboard verse, which we've been dealing with uh, as far as our particular series has gone here. We've been dealing with what should be my attitude toward my job and my employer. And we've been dealing with that over the last number of weeks. It's kind of been hit and miss with different things taking place. But boy, I tell you, we've been making some progress these last couple of weeks and looking forward to what God's going to do today in that as well. Again, very practical, very practical indeed. And so we read over there in the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 52, the Bible says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And again, we've been addressing this issue for some time, but we're saying, listen, if the Son of, of, of God had to uh, found it necessary to grow in favor with God and man, then we ought to want to do the same. And as we address this issue with the workplace, boy, what better place, what more needed place is there to ensure that we're growing in favor with men? And so we need to be doing that the best we can. And someone says, well, that's a compromise. It doesn't matter what men think. Yes, it does matter what men think. It matters what women think. It does matter. Uh, I mean, there should be no reason in the world why we should just try to become the enemies of people. It makes no sense at all. We're trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we certainly need to, uh, in that sense, uh, become uh, certainly what we ought to be, do what we ought to do so that we can gain in favor. And so we noted that. We also said that as a believer, we're, we're on the clock. Long before we ever get to work, we're already on the clock. We're 24-7. It's not a matter of just being a Christian on Sundays or on Wednesday nights or Tuesday night soul winning or Saturday soul winning. It's not a matter of just when I'm doing something in service for the king. No, I'm a Christian 24-7. I'm on the clock all the time. And so we noted that as well, and we took the time to consider that. And then we started asking some things and pointing out some truths, and we said, what's the primary purpose of our job? What is it? And we said it's to support your ministry. It's to support your ministry. And we said, well, your first ministry is to your family. Your second ministry is to your church family. Your next ministry is to reach the lost. And so we addressed that. We talked about that some. Then we said, what should be my attitude toward my job? We said, well, first of all, you ought to view your job as a ministry opportunity. We said, in reality, you ought to look at your life and say, well, listen, my job is a, play, is a mission field. It's an opportunity to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we kind of took the time to consider that and uh, uh, look at that as well. Um, and then we asked the question, we said, what attitude should I have toward my supervisor and the company I work for? Well, we had a number of suggestions. We talked about a number of things. But when it was all said and done, let's just be honest, it ought to be to, to benefit our employer. It ought to be to benefit our, our company, if you will. If we're not doing that, then probably we won't have a job very much longer either. But we can't possibly be the testimony we ought to be if we're not doing things that will help the company instead hurt them. So we want to help them. And so we talked about a number of things there. And uh, then we asked the question, uh, let me see here. Let me find it. Boy, there's a bunch of suggestions we had there, weren't there? I got to get to the end of that one. This is a lot of pages of notes, isn't there? Look at that. Yeah, I've got them all memorized. Yeah, right. Okay, so anyway, then we asked the question last week. We said, or made the statement, the Bible also shows the employer or supervisor how to relate to those under his or her leadership. And so we talked about how that works because it works both ways. As believers, we also have a responsibility as employers, if we're the one in charge, how we ought to be treating those that are working for us and with us. Now, 
Today, I want to just talk, I, want to, I just want to address a, a basic question, okay, today. This is the basic question I want to address. What if my job conflicts with spiritual matters? What if my job conflicts with spiritual matters? That's a pretty good thought, right? That, that, that's something that we need to address. It's something that we ought to think about a little bit. And so we're going to go ahead and consider that over these next few minutes. So let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at that tonight. Father, we thank you for this privilege and the opportunity that we have, Lord, to gather here tonight. We do pray, Lord, that you would just bless us, that you would encourage us, you'd instruct us and inspire us. Lord, we need you, and without you, we are nothing. We thank you for your grace and your mercy in our lives. We're so thankful that that day on Calvary, we died with you. We rose again to walk in newness of life. We're grateful for the new hope that we have, this everlasting hope of eternal life and to be with you forever. Thank you for all that you do. Lord, help us to live in this life in a way that is pleasing in your sight, that brings favor to you. Lord, we know that uh, the Bible promises are true. Lord, applying those truths in our lives daily can be a challenge. Lord, may you help us to see how practical it is. And as we apply it, may it benefit not only us, but those around us. And Father, we know that you are a God that can do the impossible. Oh, help us, Lord, to never doubt that. And Lord, may we honor you with our life, our lips. We'll give to you the glory and the honor in Christ's name. Amen. So what if my job conflicts with spiritual matters? Well, let me just say this, and it may surprise you what I'm going to respond to this. But realize that there may be a periodic conflict of priorities between church activities and your work schedule. It may happen. That's a possibility, a good possibility, actually. In a busy ministry like the ministry here at Community Baptist Temple, there are a number of activities. There are special services. There are ministry opportunities abounding. As a result of that, they take place at a number of different times and so forth. And that being the case, there's bound to be a conflict here and there. It's going to happen. It is bound to happen sooner or later. Now, you just can't quit your job or take off work every single time there's a little bit of a conflict, some minor conflict. I, you just can't do that. You know, I know that when we changed our service times, even from Wednesday to Tuesday, I know a number of you have worked your schedules around our Wednesday night services, and then we turn around and change the schedule in, in before uh, the holiday or before Thanksgiving to open up opportunities for others to be at home that night, the night before Thanksgiving, especially many of the ladies and, that are preparing for big families coming over the next day and things. And so we did that, and we didn't want to get rid of the service, so we just rescheduled it. Unfortunately, some of that conflicted with your schedule. Now, you can't just necessarily quit your job and say, I'm sorry, I have to be in church Tuesday night. And it's like, well, wait a second. You told us you were on, at church on Wednesday nights. Uh, well, they changed it, so I'm out. That doesn't work quite like that, does it? And again, that, you, can't, you can't look at that. You've got to be careful with that. You know, you have to understand that there may be some minor conflicts from time to, two, to, uh, from time, to time. That can happen. However, I do think it's important to remember your job is a ministry as well. So, yes, okay, there may be some minor conflicts along the way. There may be some, some situations where, well, those you know, conflicts of priority between church and work schedule. They happen from time to time. But remember, you're still on the clock, okay? You're still to be a witness at work. You're still on the job trying to be a testimony there where you're at. 
that's your mission field too. So don't get too discouraged about that. However, you can't use your job as an excuse to neglect God's word though either. And you can't use your job to neglect your responsibilities to your church either. There's this balance that has to be there. I mean, you must maintain a balance. I mean, that's all there is to it. Uh, you got to be careful with that. Now, our desire, your desire, my desire to be in the house of God every time the doors are open and to be faithful in the area of service that God's placed us, let's be honest, that, that should weigh pretty heavy on us. I mean, it should weigh so heavy on us that, boy, when there is a conflict that arises, it ought to bother us. I mean, it ought to be something that says, man, are you kidding me? They switched that service from Wednesday to Tuesday? Man, I'm going to, oh man, unless I got extra time to take off. And boy, I know at the end of the year, it's a tough time to take an extra day off, especially if you're trying to accumulate a few days for Christmas and enjoy it with the family. And you're thinking, man, I'd like to take off for that Tuesday service, but man, that's going to be tough with me trying to take off for Christmas. And I want to be there though. That ought to be your attitude. See, that ought to be how it is. It shouldn't be, well, wow, too bad. They moved the service. Oh, shucks. You get what I'm saying? It shouldn't be that way. All I'm saying is is that we ought to want to be in God's house. There ought to be a desire to be there. It ought to be something that we long to do and not something that we just is a burden to bear. But, again, that may arise from time to time. Now, again... We ought to work to ensure that these conflicts are minimized. That they become the exception and not the rule. That's the thing. I mean, as a believer, we ought to love the church like Christ loved the church. As a believer, we ought to want to be involved like Christ would want to be involved. let, Let me ask you something. If Jesus were on earth, do you think he would go to church? And do you think Jesus would stay out of church to watch his favorite television show? Or to go to the Cleveland Browns football game? I don't think so. And someone says, yeah, well, we're not God. I know, but hey, wait a second. We're in Christ. I'm just saying, what should be our heart? What should be our heart be? I mean, is it just one of those things? Well, I, I got to work every night. Preacher can't do soul winning. I can't go to church and I can't go do this and I can't do that. I guess I'm stuck now because I got to make a living, brother. Uh-oh. Everything got real quiet. Here's what I'm going to say. God's big enough to fix your schedule conflicts with his house. He's big enough to do that in your life. What, you know, it's an amazing thing. What's he say in the, in, the, in the scriptures? He says something to the effect of, let's see, let me give thee the desires of thine heart. Oh my, Psalm chapter, oh man, I can't remember. My mind just went blank on the verse. He said, no, I can't remember what the verse is, but it ends with, and he'll give thee the desires of thine heart. And I can't remember the first part. Psalm 37, 4. Look it up, David, and read it for me, would you? I'm glad David's in the crowd tonight. <laughs> Go ahead, David, hit me with it. Commit thyself. Commit thy. Oh, there he goes. He's even memorized it. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Boy, are you delighting in the Lord? Or is it a convenient excuse? That's a problem, isn't it? See, I'm convinced that God can overcome conflicts with his house. 
I believe he's big enough to either change your schedule or give you another job. If it becomes the, the rule and not the exception, then my friend, I'm going to tell you something. You need to really start begging God to do something so you can be where God wants you. I mean, God's big enough to do that, isn't he? See, when you find yourself in an uncomfortable position concerning work in his house, did you hear what I said, an uncomfortable position? If it's not uncomfortable, you're never going to look for an out. You're never going to ask God to overcome it. You're quite content not to be here, then obviously nothing's going to happen. But if your heart is to be where God wants you to be, you will be uncomfortable not being here. I love when I make visits on people, especially the elderly in our, our church. And I knock on their door, I walk into their house, and they say things like, I, I just can't stand missing church. I love being in God's house. Oh, how I wish I could get a ride, or I wish I could somehow make it there. I love that. And I think, will it take us all getting to that point where we can't go before we truly appreciate going? Now, you're here tonight, so I'm preaching to the choir. But the truth is, is that maybe even amongst this group, there's some that are sitting here today going, boy, I sure wish that I was working tonight so that I wouldn't have to go to, and I could be off tomorrow night instead. Now, again, I'm not saying you are. I'm just saying it could possibly be the case. Wow, my only night off, and I got to spend it at church, or if I don't, everybody will think I'm a bad person. That's a sad place to be. That's a miserable place to be. But see, I'm convinced that if we're uncomfortable enough, if we'll pray, we'll trust God to provide other options, he'll do it. See, the mindset, I have no other choice and any other options is one of unbelief and proof that you've limited God and are questioning his power. See, a young boy traveled by airplane to visit his grandparents and, and along the way he sat beside a man who, opened, who happened to be a seminary professor. The boy was reading a Sunday school kind of take-home paper, you know, kind of things we give to our kids uh, from the Sunday schools. And he was reading that take-home paper, and the professor kind of thought he'd have a little fun with this little feller. So he said, hey, young man, if you can tell me something God can do, I'm going to give you a big, shiny apple. And the boy thought for a moment, and then he said, well, mister, if you can tell me something God can't do, I'll give you a whole barrel of apples. Boy, who was the theologian? Isn't that something? I mean, a little boy's thinking, hey, there's nothing God can't do. And over in the book of James chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says, Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. Ye have not because ye... What? Ye have not because ye... One, two, three. That's right. So really, when we don't have, it's because we haven't asked. Someone says, well, you just don't understand. I can't find. I can't get. I can't do. Well, be careful before you assume that. How much you've been praying about that one? Because God's a God that can, and he will. He'll do a number of things. And again, we understand there's going to be periodic conflicts. Get that. Understand that. But when our heart gets to the place where all of a sudden it becomes more normal, and it doesn't bother us, something's not right with that. It ought to bother us. And then we got to go to God. I once read that uh, at, a, at a horse pool in Canada, uh, one horse pulled 9,000 pounds. Another horse pulled 8,000 pounds. Well, together you'd kind of think, well, 
If one can pull nine and the other can pull eight, they should be able to pull 17,000 pounds. Well, that wasn't the case at all. As a matter of fact, when they harnessed those two together, they pulled 30,000 pounds. Over three times what either could pull separately. It's amazing what happens when you team up. And what I guess I'm saying is sometimes we feel like there are un, you know, we're unable to overcome the obstacles in our life. And one of those obstacles may be even a job in church and being involved in the house of God and serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Can you imagine how much more you and I could do if we would just get God in on it? I mean, if only we would pray and ask God to intercede, the outcome is, well, the impossible. And all I'm saying is, be encouraged. Listen, you may be in a spot right now where every once in a while you find yourself getting kind of sidetracked or maybe you're not able to plug into the kind of ministry you want. Let me tell you, you need to pray and beg God and ask him to overcome that in your life, give you the opportunity to be plugged in. If your heart is to do that, if that's the desire of your heart, it'll happen. I got this feeling somehow, some way, God's going to work it out. It may not be today, it may not be next week or next month. It may not be till next year or something, I don't know. But God will work it out if you're sincere. He'll get you covered. He'll figure it out because he's big enough to do it. But you got to get with him. May we never be guilty of not asking. And, or we just give up asking because then we say, well, God's obviously not big enough. Now, I want to make a caution here, okay? Because I do want to share something along the lines to help you understand how things work. Here at the Community Baptist Temple, you got to realize, you got to understand that ministry leaders here demand a greater commitment, uh, excuse me, that some ministries around here demand greater commitment than others. That's all there is to it. Some ministries require more commitment or dedication than others. For instance, if you would say, you're going to be an usher at Community Baptist Temple, that's a whole different level than being a, a Sunday school teacher. There's a different level there of commitment required. Now, I say that because I just want to kind of caution everyone because I want you to understand how it works. As accommodating as our ministry leaders are around here, and they're very accommodating, you may be surprised, they still have to be consistent across the board and ensure that morale among coworkers remains upbeat. It's bad enough when you, have, you, have, uh, you go to work and you get paid to do a job. Can you imagine if you didn't get paid to do your job? I wonder how successful your boss would be. Do this and do that and go here and do that, but they're not paying you. I just want you to do it because you want to. How successful would they be? Would you stick around long? Do you know that pastors and staff at churches and ministry leaders at Community Baptist Temple, they don't have you under their thumb threatening you with your paycheck. They got to motivate you. They got to try to keep you on top side. They got to try to help you understand how big this is and how important it is. Every moving piece plays a major factor. So here's what happens. As ministry leaders, as accommodating as they are, and I do believe our ministry leaders are accommodating and they try to work with people, the fact is, is that when leaders are not consistent with the standards, it is hard on morale and it makes it almost impossible to maintain order. And therefore, for that reason, as genuine and as sincere as you may be, you must be equally understanding of leadership 
who must maintain a high standard of excellence for the sake of all. That means this. Maybe your job schedule has changed and you're unable to be at the services like you used to be for a, short, for a period of time. And, and they're accommodating. They will work with you under those situations. Maybe you, you've been, been changed, your shift change, and you're stuck out there, and you don't have a game plan yet for your outreach. And for your particular position, you need to go out consistently on a regular basis in outreach, soul winning, visitation, that kind of thing. But yet your, your situation has changed and now your ability and opportunity has changed and now you're praying and begging God to do something to get you back where you need to be so you can do that but you're just kind of holding on and finally the ministry leader comes to you and says, man, we got a problem. Because see, the requirement says you got to do this, 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 and this. And I know that your heart is to be here but your body's not. And you know who ought to be the first one to say, listen, if you need me to step down until I can get that conflict taken care of, it ought to be you. Instead of going, I can't believe them. I've been faithful all these years. And now six months I haven't been able to come out soul winning and they're telling me as a teacher I can't be a teacher. You ought to be going, you know what? I wouldn't want to put the ministry leader in that position because he's requiring other people to do that, I'm going to go ahead and humble myself and admit that I can't be there for the time being and let them know that until I can be there, I'm willing to step down so that I don't put you in an awkward position and so that I don't undermine the authority that you have and that I don't put other people in a place where they get discouraged and think, oh, so they don't have to, but I have to. So you ought to be the first to humble yourself and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to talk to my, the, my leader, the one who's over my ministry, and make sure that this conflict that I'm very uncomfortable with already isn't putting them in a very awkward position. And I'll let them decide whether I stay in that position or not. Boy, would that be a humble thing to do and the right thing. But too many times, and not so much maybe in our church, but I have heard horror story after horror story of people who are so arrogant, so prideful, so self-centered that all they could think of was them because in reality they found their self-worth in a position and not in a person, Jesus Christ. And therefore they just could not bear the thought of being told that for the time being they're going to have to step down until they can measure up and fulfill the standards that are required in the ministry. Let me ask you, if me as a pastor, I came to you and said, well, guess what? You know what? I'm not feeling up to pastoring anymore. And so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to have one of the staff preach on Sunday after evenings, and another one preach on Wednesday nights, and I'll come in two Sundays a month. I won't be in the office but one day a week, but I still want paid and I still want my position. How would you feel about that after about two years? How'd you feel about that after a year? You'd probably say, what are we paying him to do? He's not even here. Yeah, but I'm still the pastor. I got the title. Now, listen, I, I know I'm trying to be practical. It's one thing. See, you say, but we pay you. It's different. Nuh-uh. You, oh, no, no, no. See, you, you misunderstand something if that's what you believe. See, you serve the Lord. Isn't that more important than any amount of money you could ever be paid? I, I don't understand why all of a sudden volunteer labor 
when it's serving Jesus Christ, thinks it's any less important than if you're getting paid to do it. I don't get that. Listen, I, I, I didn't get paid for years working with teenagers and working with the choir and doing different things. I didn't get paid for years. Let me tell you something. As far as I'm concerned, what I did then was as equally important, if not more, than ever important. And even this. It is not any less. It's not any more. It is literally the same because I'm serving him. Now, again, that's just, I just, I bring that out because I want to caution people because sometimes, you know, we start to think we're entitled to something. You owe me. I've been here how many years? Now my job's switching for the last year. I can't be here or can't do this and can't do that. How dare you even consider asking me to step down? After all I've done for you. Oh, so you've been doing it for me. I, I'm trying, listen, you know what they call this? Preventative maintenance. I just want you to understand how you ought to think. You ought to be humble. You ought to go and say, listen, I'm, I am sick up to here with my schedule. I can't stand that I'm missing right now. I want to be in God's house. Will you pray with me? You know what you'll find probably? You'll have a ministry leader that is extremely considerate of you and your situation and plight in that case. They'll pray with you. They'll work with you. But there may come a point even they say, listen, so that the whole doesn't get discouraged, so that the whole maintains the standard, so that the whole is done decently in order where I'm going to have to, don't even say it. Let me say it. I'll step down if you need me to. I should never even have to ask you. Don't volunteer to step down, though, hoping they'll tell you to step down. You ought to want to be in the position, and you ought to want to get your schedule changed. Don't just say, well, that's a good way, then. I just figured out how I can get out of ministry. You'll be amazed how maybe they know that, and they'll just string you on. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs> Number two. When your job responsibilities are contrary to Bible principles, then you must draw a line. Again, we're talking about this idea, what if your job conflicts with spiritual matters? Well, we said, obviously, realize that there may be a periodic conflict of priorities between church activities and your work schedule. But number two, when your job responsibilities are contrary to Bible principles, then you've got to draw a line. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 5, verse 25. Acts chapter 5, verse 20, 25, please. We're going to read through verse 29. Now, obviously, you're here on a Wednesday night. You want to be in God's house. So I probably should have preached this some other time, right? But it doesn't hurt to hear it, right? Can't hurt. Acts chapter 5, verse 25. Notice what it says here. It's a great passage. It says, Then came one and told them, saying, Behold the men whom ye put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. And when they had brought them, they sent them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in, his, in this name? 
Behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, these men, of course, had been cast into prison for preaching Christ and his resurrection. We know that that's something God would have us do. We understand that. That's nothing new. It doesn't matter what the culture says. It doesn't matter what the society says. It doesn't matter what the president or, or what the vice president or, or what our, our bosses say. We still have to preach and teach the word. I don't misunderstand and don't go out of here half cocked and say you can preach during work hours. You understand we've discussed some of that in the past. We don't need to get into that again. You know, we talked about eight hours of work for eight hours of pay. But you do have a lunch hour and you do have breaks and you do have time after work and all throughout the week to be a minister and a blessing to those at your workplace. However, we know in this particular situation, the world was telling them, you're not permitted to preach Christ and you are not permitted to preach that resurrection. So you just be quiet. You knock it off. And we know that they'd already been taken off into to, to, to prison at one point. They had, they had uh, been uh, released after even being beaten. And they'd been given this warning. They'd been told this by the, 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 the chief priest. They'd been told this by the council. Now they're heard and seen preaching and teaching again. Once again, they're taken into custody and they're brought before the council. I want you to note the shock of the council. You say the shock? Yes. See, when I read this passage, it's interesting. Notice that it says in verse 27 right off the bat, the high priest asked them. He didn't yell at them. He didn't scream at them. He didn't lose his temper. It's, he asked them. And, and what happens is, again, they've been beaten. They've been released and told, do not preach Christ or the resurrection. And next thing you know, they're doing the exact thing that the priest told them not to do. And the priest is like, and this is how, I, I don't know why, but I get this, this feeling somehow based on the wording the priest asked them, saying, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? He's, did, didn't we tell you that? And you're still doing it? What? Are you kidding me? After we beat you? After we persecuted you? After we threatened you and you're still doing it? That's kind of how I feel it was like. I don't think it was like, I don't think it was like, didn't always strictly command you. Just should I preach Christ? That's not asking anything. And that's not, I mean, I think he's asking them. He is shocked. I think the council was shocked. Here are these men that they had told not to preach Christ in the resurrection, and here they are preaching it. They're like, wow, this is crazy. Can't believe it. But note the stand of the apostles. They turn around and make the statement, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now here's the point I want to make. The apostles were willing to lose their freedom and even their lives before they would compromise their beliefs. Did you get that? They didn't pick and choose when to obey God rather than men. They didn't toss a coin in the air and see if it landed on heads or tails to determine whether they should obey God rather than men this time or not. 
No, they had made up their minds that there are some things that we believe that are in the Word of God. They're God's Word. He will not compromise those beliefs. And they were willing to lose their very freedom, to be thrown into prison. They were willing to lose their lives if necessary for their beliefs. Now, here's the question I have then. Would you and I be willing to lose a job if we were required to compromise our beliefs or offend our consciences? Would you be willing to lose a job if you were required to compromise your belief or offend your conscience? I think that's a good question to ask. Now, there are times that we have to draw the line. Well, what's one of those? Well, obviously, we have to refuse to lie or steal from your employer, for your employer, excuse me, or violate any other clear commandments of God. You you can't do those things. And someone says, oh, I'd never do that. Well, I, I don't know about that. I mean, there are some things that employers expect you to do that are unethical. If you're dealing with business or you're dealing with certain things, they'll ask you to lie on their behalf or they'll tell you to not say certain things. If you're asked a direct question to, you know, not, not tell the truth, to lie about this or lie about that or, or, hey, listen, I get it. I get it. You're not to offer certain information. I know how it works. I get that. But man, I'm going to tell you something. Why would you, you really, you're going to work somewhere where you're required to lie? Isn't there a problem with lying? Is it, doesn't that go contrary to our our belief system? So if that's the case, if for some reason you are required or, uh, to lie or, or to, to steal or somehow do something like that for your employer, then I would think that you might want to say, I need to obey God rather than men. See, why would a Christian ever feel it was all right to violate God's law in order to accommodate their employer? What's well, different? This is my livelihood. Don't you understand? I have a family to take care of and I can't lose my job. Oh, you can just lose your integrity. Just, just lose your reputation. That's right. Just go ahead and lose, you know, uh, your own. Um, there's another word I'm looking for and I can't. Yeah, your character. Go ahead and throw your character away. That's a good one too. I, I'm telling you, your reputation's more important than a job. You better be careful with that. A hunter, he uh, went out into the forest to shoot a bear. And winter was fast approaching, and so he planned to make a warm coat out of the bear skin. Soon he saw a bear coming toward him, and he raised the gun, and he took aim. Wait, said the bear. So he threw up his paws. Why do you want to shoot me? The hunter said, well, because I'm cold. The bear replied, well, I'm hungry, so maybe we can come to an agreement. Well, in the end, the hunter was well enveloped with the bear's fur. And the bear had eaten his dinner. You say, what's the moral of the story? Here's the moral. Disobedience, even partial disobedience, is sin. And we're always going to lose out when we try to compromise with sin. See, whether we excuse it as a necessary evil in order to keep our job or not, it'll consume us in the end. It'll consume us. 
See, it won't just be that little white lie you're telling, and it won't just be that little thing that you're taking off the competitor or stealing those things off the competitor's websites. It won't be those things. Pretty soon it'll be something else, something bigger. And you say, well, I can justify it in my mind. It's just business, and business is cutthroat. Yeah, but should business be ethical? You better be careful. You're a Christian, mind you. We're talking about how we should respond to work, how we ought to deal with things. Well, if our job responsibilities are contrary to Bible principles, then we got to draw a line somewhere. And then you need to guard against temptation on your job. Boy, that's a tough one sometimes. There are several good protections against temptation. Mark Twain speaking now. He said there are several good protections against temptation, but the surest is cowardice. Mark Twain said that. The surest is cowardice. Speaking of temptation, let's just, um, let's ask a few questions. Number one, here's a question for you. What settings are you in when you fail or fall? What settings are you in when you fall? Avoid them. What props do you have that support your sin? Eliminate them. What people are you usually with? Avoid them. See, there are two equally dangerous lies that Satan wants us to believe. Number one, he wants us to believe this lie. Just once won't hurt. And number two, now that you've ruined your life, you're beyond God's use. You might as well enjoy sinning. These are pretty dangerous lies that Satan spins. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, learn to say no. It will be of more use to you than to be able to read Latin. You can understand Latin was an important language in his day. But he said, listen, learn. He said, learn to say no. It will be of more use to you than to be able to read Latin. Now, we don't need to be very specific tonight in exposing temptation at work. Because everybody in the room that's ever been to work in certain environments knows what kind of temptations that are there. I believe it's important, however, to note something. And here's what I believe it's important to note. We should note the fact that some people fall into temptation. But a great many make plans for disaster ahead of time. Some just plan to make, they just Plan to, they make plans for disaster ahead of time. I recently read about a father who said to his son, he said, now listen, don't swim in that canal, son. His, dad, his, his child said, well, okay, dad. But he came home carrying a wet bathing suit that evening. Where have you been? Demanded dad. Swimming in the canal. Didn't I tell you not to swim there, his father said. Well, yes, sir answered the boy. Well, why did you? Well, Dad, I had my bathing suit with me and I couldn't resist the temptation. Well, why'd you take your bathing suit with you? So I'd be prepared to swim in case I was tempted. (laughs) You know what? Too many of us expect to sin. And we even ignite sin in our lives. 
See, the remedy for such dangerous activity is found in what's called, in a book called Romans chapter 13, verse 14, when the Bible says, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Make not provision for the flesh. Whenever we play with temptation, it is easy to drift into great danger. It is so simple. A woman was out in the Gulf of Mexico. She was enjoying the comfort of a relaxing afternoon on an inflatable bed that kept her afloat there on the, in the Gulf. When she realized that she had been swept about a half mile out from the beach or away from shore, she began to scream. I mean, she was screaming at the top of her lungs, but nobody heard her. And if they did, nobody responded. A Coast Guard craft found her five miles from the place where she first entered the water. Can you imagine that? Five miles away from where she entered the water. I don't know about you, but I'd be pretty scared. You know, the first thing I'd think, whether it's true or not, I'd think there's sharks here. I'd be freaking out. Five miles away. You know what the problem was? She didn't even realize the danger until she was beyond her own strength and ability. Before she, got, before she even realized she was in trouble, she was so far beyond where she herself could get out of the danger. It was, she had already gone too far. And you know what? Sadly enough, you and I are in the same case many times when it comes to temptation and sin in our lives. How many marriages have been wrecked as a result of an office romance? How many have lost their jobs due to unethical or immoral behavior? Don't forget the sin, that sin follows the temptation. You and I better flee temptation or sin will surely follow. Luke chapter 22 verse 46 says, And he said unto them, Why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. Now, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane in this particular passage, and it's just moments before he's going to find himself betrayed and ultimately crucified. In the passage, he's asking his disciples an important question. He's saying to the disciples, why sleep ye? I give you something to do. I give you a job to perform. Why in the world are you sleeping? It appears that we're most tempted then, and this is what I get from it at least, it appears that we're most tempted when we fall asleep on the job. I mean, he says, why sleep ye? Rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. We fail to rise and pray, we're going to fall into temptation. That means we're sleeping on the job. And I'm going to tell you something, when you and I get to sleeping on the job, when we're at work, but we're not focused on our true ministry, we're not really focused on what God intended us to do, and that is to be a missionary where we work and when we work, when we're not being the witness and sharing Christ with others at the workplace, we are tempted to fall asleep. That's when temptation will bite us because we're not on the job. May God help us to be on the job. To be on the job. I'm going to close with this, and I I know we're running just a hair late. I know if you're looking at your watch, you're like, man, he's got to get done with this. But I'm going to help you that have kids right now. Real quick, I'm going to spend just a moment that have teenagers or young kids. Don't be influenced by sinful activities around you. Let me just tell you, when we're talking about workplace, this is a real problem. There's never been more true than when teens get their first job. Okay, I'm just going to help you now. You don't have to agree. 
I'm just going to help you. I'm not a real fan of teens working in fast food, the fast food industry. I'm just not. I really am not. I'm not, however, against teens working depending on the circumstances and the environment. So don't misunderstand that either. I am, however, for ensuring that they're not exposed to an environment that could prove detrimental to their faith and purity. And boy, let me tell you something. It's a hard thing to find your teenager that kind of work. I'm also extremely against, now listen to this, I'm extremely against any teenager being permitted to to work a job that removes them from any regularly scheduled church service. You say, why? Well, not being the primary breadwinner in the home certainly affords them some adequate wiggle room when it comes to taking a job. I don't understand why in the world we think our teenagers should be allowed to put something above the house of God when they're not even the ones paying the bills. I don't get it. You don't, you don't, maybe you don't agree with that. I would love you to come talk to me about it instead of talking to someone else about it. I'd love to tell you what I really feel about some of those things. I'd love to help you with your teenagers before they're a total wreck. I have watched more than one teen get out into the workforce and forsake his or her faith. I've seen it a few times. I've seen parents after parent struggle to recognize their own children after just a few months of them being influenced by fellow co-workers. I don't even know who my kid is anymore. Okay. Why? Because too often young people are influenced by sinful activities around them. Too often even us as adults are. And in this work environment that we are placed as ministers, you better be on the job because if not, you too can be influenced, I can be influenced by sinful activities around us. And I don't care if you're in the church house or if you're out in the world. I'm so sick and tired. I've heard it in my whole life. You're lucky. You work in a wonderful environment. How many preachers have ran off with a secretary? You know what happened to them? They fell asleep on the job, just like you can fall asleep on your job. They forget what their purpose is and what they're really there for. Listen, the reality is that many work environments can be riddled with sinful activities and temptations. That's just a reality. And you know what the truth is? They all are. (laughs) Because the devil is there to trip believers up. And as believers, we need to take steps to ensure that we're not influenced by them and that we don't become casualties of war. Let's stay awake. Let's not fall asleep on the job. Go to work tomorrow and tell yourself, I am a missionary and I'm going to do my best to be an influence and, an, and impact the lives of these people. I want to make a difference where I work. And I may not be sent across the seas to a foreign land, but I've been sent to a foreign land because I am a child of the king. I'm a citizen of heaven. This is not my home. I'm just a passing through. So I'm going to go out into the world tomorrow and I'm going to make sure I'm not asleep on the job. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for this present, for this privilege that we have to gather in your house. Now bless us, encourage us tonight, be glorified in our lives, and help us, Lord, just to honor you in every way. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Every head bowed, every eye closed tonight. The music.